I first started running about 15 years ago as a way to quit smoking. Back then, my running clothes were very Rocky Balboa, so sweatpants, sweatshirt. Anyone who goes hiking or trail running knows that it's a lot easier and a lot more fun when you're wearing the right gear. Jonji makes performance apparel that'll take you farther on your runs and hikes. They have this merino wool hoodie that I wore on multiple trail runs this weekend. It's soft, it's warm, and most importantly, it does not get stinky when you get stinky. Another reason to love Jonji is that they donate 2% of all sales towards clean water projects, raising nearly $1 million so far. Head to Jonji.com to find your new favorite trail wear, outdoors accessories, and essentials. And use the code OUTSIDE for 10% off at Jonji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I.com with the code OUTSIDE for 10% off. When I was a little kid, my whole family, grandparents included, packed into a Dodge Caravan and went on a two-week road trip to Wyoming. We saw the rodeo in Cody, a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park, and an epic thunderstorm near Devil's Tower. On that trip, I fell in love with the West and the natural world. This might sound cheesy, but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Just a heads up for listeners who have kids or don't like swears, there are swears in this podcast, including a couple of stray F-bombs. So, there you have it. Hey, Jimmy. Hey, Sam. Producer Jimmy Gutierrez. Hello, hello. Is here with some Storm Chaser videos. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jimmy, what are we looking at here? So this is a video that I found online, and this is my dude, Justin J-Time Drake. Justin getting out into the winds of Hurricane Irma as the eyewall slams into the keys. This is one video I saw, and I wondered how did he survive. And I want to see if you have the same takeaway. All right, let's see. Oh, my God. Right right there. How does he not die? (laughs) He's... Oh, so he's got like a paintball mask on. He's holding up something in the air. Oh, and the, the paintball mask just flew off his head. Right. And oh, like this wind is standing him straight up. He's got a deep lunge. Deep lunge. He was on. He was on all fours that a moment ago. Oh. So that's 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 Justin Drake. That's bonkers. How fast was that wind? So he says he clocked it at 117, but as you saw, he's getting blown around by the wind. He said his best guess was that it was at least 130 miles per hour. But he just gets pushed so far back. I thought that was the moment my heart sank, and I was like, he's dead. (laughs) I'm watching a suicide video. Suicide by hurricane. Suicide by hurricane. But he wasn't, and um, he didn't die. He did not die. Thankfully. And so I gave him a call, and I, uh, I asked him about that video. I have plenty of friends. I will fully admit I had friends that were like, Justin, we'll be praying for you. Why are you doing that? That's crazy, blah, blah, this and that. I have no problem going out there and playing in the wind. It's like kind of man versus nature for me. It just is, and I love seeing how strong the winds are and if I can stand in it. And, and like, what do people say about this video? Uh, let's just say opinions vary. I mean, I've seen some people that were like, 
making jokes about, man, he must not skip leg day, or man, he's crazy, or you have the uh, negative comments where they're like, man, he needs, he's going to win the Darwinism Award, or <laughs> why, why would somebody do that? He's an idiot, this and that. Well, I mean, is he an idiot? <laughs> like, what? He, what's your sense of this? I mean, that's there's a lot to unpack with that question, and so... Um... So how about we uh, we spend an episode on it? Yes or no answers, Jimmy. <laughs> yes or no. No! From New Hampshire Public Radio, this is Outside In, a show about the natural world and how we use it. And today, storm chasing. It's a hobby we love to hate in the comments section, but if you look at the TV ratings or the YouTube views, it's clear that we can't look away either. So rather than taking pot shots, we wanted to understand storm chasers, what motivates them to actively put themselves in front of a storm when everyone else is taking shelter. And ultimately, do we owe them an apology? All right, so we're going to get back to Justin in a minute here. But to kick things off, I want to introduce you to a couple of chasers who dabble in tornadoes. Here's Jennifer Brindley-Ubel. They're kind of like amoebas to me. They're these big, watery things, and they're alive. And you kind of watch them bulbously saunter, you know, across the landscape. Jennifer is from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She's a portrait photographer who came to chasing, like a lot of folks did, around the same time. I first had an interest in storms uh, because of the movie Twister. Uh, I'm actually part of what's referred to lovingly as the Twister generation of storm chasers. Well, everybody likes the movie Twister. I mean, it's kind of like a cult thing. I don't know. I may have watched it 700 times or so. This is Randy Hicks. I got my first copy at McDonald's. I think they had an offer where you buy a Happy Meal and you can get the movie Twister for five bucks. Randy founded the Outlaw Chasers, which is a small chasing gang based out of Missouri. When I asked him to find a quiet place for us to talk, he took a seat in an 87 Toyota pickup he was junking for spare parts. I've got a ninth grade education. I'm a pretty much a simpleton. I'm a little dyslexic. But I understand storm structure, tornadoes, how they move, how they think, where they're going, just from seeing four or 500 of them through the last 25 years. All of these chasers want you to know something. They are not irresponsible thrill seekers. I tell people all the time, like, listen, I'm a professional. Like, I've been storm chasing now for well over a decade. I've got my degree in meteorology, so I can make forecasts, and I know what to expect. Justin says those measurements from Irma, he sent them off to the National Weather Service for record. And as far as the video goes, there was a lot of planning that went on behind the scenes. For example, he made sure he was upwind and aware of all hazards. He also scouted his position a day and a half before, looking for the highest point on the bridge. That, that's always the big thing. Find the high point. So if the storm surge does get that high, you can survive through it. Storm surge is one big reason why most chasers avoid hurricanes. But maybe even more so, they're not as photogenic. They're sloppy, like blurred visions of wind and rain, unlike tornadoes. Tornadoes may also be preferred because they're more accessible for chasers interested in science. We're working with some photogrammetry and some other things. I can't talk too much about the project because it's still somewhat under wraps at the moment. What we do is rather extreme trying to put probes in tornadoes, so we have to go within a close proximity, which 
Well, I mean, you saw the video, so you know what yes. we're doing. <laughs> yeah, I did. What he's doing is exactly like the plot of Twister, using probes to get readings from inside of tornadoes. Randy says he's the first person to get a probe with a video inside a tornado six days before legendary chaser Tim Samaras did it. That's a name you're going to want to remember. But if you're going to drop a probe inside of a tornado, you got to get real close. We're in the fucking tornado! This is a video of Randy and another outlaw chaser named Lisa. It's 2006 and they're in Nebraska on a dirt road surrounded by cornfields and mud. Oh yeah, who's your daddy? Oh my, oh my god. Oh hang on, here comes another one. Oh watch out! Oh my god! Hold on, Lisa. It's absolutely downpouring. I don't know if you heard that, but the storm just blew their pickup's back window out. I don't know what window we lost. We lost the whole, we lost the camper back and our back. Alright. They're in the middle of an active tornado. Look at that piece of debris! This video looks as dangerous as it sounds, and it's exactly the thing that people point to when labeling chasers as adrenaline junkies, or candidates for the Darwin Award. Chasers like Randy will say their science requires them to get closer than other researchers are willing to. They would also tell you that extreme weather is newsworthy. If this is your town, Nebraska, you want to know if there's a tornado in it. And if you turn on the local news, you're going to want to see it. I'm Corey Hartman, owner and operator of Severe Studios and SevereStudios.com. And we've been streaming live tornado video for over 12 years. Corey's what's called a video broker. Think of Randy's video or Justin's Irma video. They send it to someone like Corey who helps get them paid. Basically how that works is they shoot a video, they send it to me, I pitch it to the networks and the local TV stations, see if somebody wants it. If they do, they pay, and I take a percentage of that as my cut for doing the work and the rest gets passed off to them. A majority of it gets passed back to the person who shoots the video. Back when the Twister generation was coming into their own, there was still good money in selling storm videos. Since then, though, things have changed. But if you're sitting on a gem like what you just heard, there's always a market. Uh, well, let's take the Who's Your Daddy tornado is what they called it on CNN because after it went over my truck accidentally and blew all my back glass out, I screamed Who's Your Daddy at it and shook my finger at it. But of course, I get on CNN and uh, don't try this at home. There's trained professionals in Oklahoma. This guy's a hillbilly retard. After they paid me $1,900 for it, then they disrespected me. Randy said he made about 6000 in total off the video. A big haul, especially considering how the chasing community has been growing. We used to be able to, to, to get to, you know, $2,000, $1,500 next day for a great tornado video to one network. Uh, and it's, it's not really close to that anymore. And, and a lot of that is because of the, the Twitter and Facebook and, and YouTube videos from, uh, you know, a 12-year-old with an iPhone. And with the proliferation of HD cameras and real-time radar, it's never been easier to capture a storm and more difficult to make a buck. But if there are any truths in this world, it's that great video and compelling characters always sell. They are the hunters. This is their prey. In 2007, Randy and his friend Lanny Dean were contacted by True TV for what he says was to be a three-year reality TV show called Tornado Hunters. They came out and spent like two, three days with us, and they did a bunch of interviews and, you know, reenactments. 
And then they packed up their little bags, they went back to their studios. Their methods get them branded as outlaws by other chasers. The final product was a one-hour show, not a three-year deal. Randy thought he was going to be financially set for years. In the end, he was used for another quick TV hit. When you're a nobody and someone gasses you up telling you you're amazing and you do great things and we're right. gonna we're gonna make you a star and you're never gonna have to worry about being hungry or sleeping in cars again. You buy into that shit pretty oh, quick. Yeah. Even if you do land a deal with a big network, there's no promise you'll be set. Justin Drake was featured on a couple shows. First, Tornado Road in 2009, and then a show called Storm Riders, which ran for four seasons. And what's been interesting, um, for me at least, is that they have been showing like reruns of our show a lot. Not only of just Storm Riders, but Tornado Road itself. When we had talked, I think it was like the day before or coming up that week, they had filled from like midnight to like 5 a.m. with nothing but Storm Riders. Do those royalties like flow downstream to you? No. Justin and his chase partner and co-star Simon get no payment in perpetuity for their show. Justin says it's impossible for chasers to negotiate because there's a hundred other chasers that would jump at the chance. Networks exploit this, and they've proven they have no problem talking down to the people whose video they buy in air. All of this can make for a rocky relationship with the media. That's why when you first communicated with me, I thought, well... This guy's just another piece of shit radio guy that wants to talk about everything that's fucking wrong with Jason so they can fucking bitch about it for a week and try to shut it down like all these other fucking reporters do. When networks do hire people like Justin and Randy, they usually do so as independent contractors. What this means is besides giving up the long-term rights of your likeness and image, it also gets networks out of providing basic benefits like insurance, which could be very useful if you're chasing tornadoes. What we've been dancing around here is that tornadoes and extreme weather can kill. They destroy communities, homes, crops, displace families. There is a wake of destruction that follows. Part of the thrill is that chasers are literally skirting disaster. That is, until they get too close. Before Corey Hartman was a video broker, he was a storm chaser. You know, I got hit by a tornado myself back in 2008. And, um... I, I had a, uh, a a newborn child at home, and I had to call my wife and say, uh, don't turn on the TV because my video is going to be plastered all over the place. In the video he warned his wife about, it's around dusk in mid-June. Corey's out with his chasing partner, Kenny Allen, and they're live-streaming video of this storm for a local station out of Omaha, Nebraska. One bar, here we go, calling Omaha right now. This is an absolutely horrible place to chase, as you can tell by the terrain yeah, exactly. and the hills and the dirt road and the trees. So we pull out on top of this overpass, and there it there, is. There's got to be a rain-wrapped tornado in there. you got to get on the air. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. There's got to be a tornado in there, man. When a tornado isn't moving right to left or left to right, guess which direction it's coming? Straight toward you. You can hear Corey say, I can't get out of it. The storm's moving 50-plus miles per hour, and they can't get over 35 on this dirt road. The rain just starts coming down harder and harder and harder and harder to the point where I, I can barely see the road. We're right underneath it, dude. It's swirling right above us. Oh, God. 
And then you should probably turn the audio up at this point and just watch from this point forward. Oh, oh, we're right in here. the tornado. We're in the we're tornado. Our ears are popping. My ears are popping. Our ears are popping. The tornado is right over us right now. Holy smokes. You guys so, were live? Yeah, we were live. Corey Hartman and Kenny Allen almost live-streamed their deaths to the Omaha market. The thing is, this wasn't Corey's first chase. He thought he knew what he was doing. The fact is, storm chasing is risky no matter who you are. It took something this dramatic for Corey to pull back from chasing. And with the money he made from this video, he turned his hobby website, Severe Studios, into a business. Ironically, it was his most dangerous video that gave him the opportunity to get out of the game. I'm looking at this and you seem like a pretty safe guy and like, you, you know I what I thought mean? so at the time. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. <laughs> there, are these, there are these instances where you can't remove yourself from the danger because you are yes. chasing a tornado. And if this is and a- that's really, you know, that's really what happened to Samaris. You know, you, you can, you, I mean, I'm sure everybody has said, you know, we thought Tim was the safest chaser out there. But yet he would put himself very, very close and just hope that he could get back out of the way. We'll hear about the guy who everyone said was the safest chaser out there after a break. Hi, I'm Lale Arakoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Each story from our guests and listeners is totally unique and utterly personal. We love hearing about your first impressions when visiting someplace new. My first trip to the Patagonia region was on the Argentine side. I couldn't believe the expansive territory. It's like being in Tibet. The emptiness and the harshness really, I found transformative. Or a story told when safely back on dry land. You know, things happened every single day. I ran out of gas on a jet ski in the middle of the ocean. And I was like, what if a sea creature comes to eat me? But then I'm delusional. I was like, I'll make friends with it and it won't eat me. And maybe I'll ride that back to shore. That's how it works. (laughs) Join me, Lale Arakoglu, every week for more adventures on women who travel, wherever you listen to your podcasts. We pick the story back up with the storm that forever changed the Chaser community, the El Reno, Oklahoma tornado. Hi, Tim. What are you seeing on the ground there in Oklahoma? Right now, the uh, skies are fairly clear. We do not have storm initiation, but we fully expect storm initiation probably within the next two to three hours. This is Tim Samaris, and he knew what a lot of Chasers knew on May 31st, 2013 that central Oklahoma was about to get rocked. And, uh, boy, the ingredients are coming together for a pretty volatile day. Tim's famous for his work studying tornadoes and lightning. He's also completely self-taught. When I talked to chasers like Jennifer Brindley-Ubel, they used words like genius and pioneer. I mean, if I'm listing off my chasing heroes, Tim Samaras is at the top of the list. As a kid, Tim would take apart and rebuild radios and TV sets. Eventually, he started building his own probes to drop into the paths of tornadoes. With a storm like El Reno, there was too much good science for Tim to pass up. Tornado Alley is uh, famous for these types of weather systems coming through. Uh, It only happens maybe two, maybe once, twice, or three times in an entire year. We get days like this where the systems and the ingredients come together 
So just right, they generate these incredible, powerful storms, and today is no exception. If you're talking about slang, we might refer to a day with large tornadoes as a career day. It might be a day where you could get some of the best footage in your career. Jennifer, Justin Drake, and a hundred other chasers converged on El Reno, looking to get in on the action. A little after noon, local meteorologists were calling for thunderstorms with large hail just west of the Oklahoma City metro area. But as the day went on, the storms held off. When I, me and Simon were sitting in this parking lot, you know, three o'clock hit. Storms still unfired. The longer the storms held off, the more unstable the atmosphere grew and the more potential energy stored up. Four o'clock hit. Storms still hadn't fired. And we're like, oh man, today's going to be big. All right, storms uh, continuing to develop just west of Oklahoma City. Not really called storms yet. Better to be safe than sorry. This thing looks like it's going to turn into one humongous uh, cyclonic uh, uh, supercell. Around 5 o'clock, Tim Samaras tweeted, Storms now initiating south of Watonga along Triple Point. Dangerous day ahead for Oklahoma. Stay weather savvy. Then at 5.30, things started firing. So uh, the storms kicked off and, you know, they went off like a bomb. Yeah, Gary, you're looking at that, uh, man. It, look at, I mean, that just formed in the last 30 seconds. Now, right the now, storm said, is massive. If you go online and watch some of the videos, it looks like the entire sky is conspiring behind a curtain of dark clouds and rain. Somewhere in there, an incoherent mass is working itself into a tornado but it was impossible for chasers to see what was coming. We're only getting very intermittent backlit. Like when lightning flashes, you can sometimes get a peek inside of a rain-wrapped storm and see if there's a tornado inside. Turned out there wasn't just one. There were a bunch of them. It, it, it's a multiple vortex. I've got a vortex here, a vortex there, mm. south-southeast of the gas plant. No more it is turning like a top. Absolutely amazing, Gary. Amazing. Soon the vortices within the tornado, which were the size of average-sized tornadoes, were reaching speeds close to 300 miles per hour. And things were just getting started. Coming out of the gates, El Reno headed south to southeast. Then it starts hooking left, or northeast, a move that caught a lot of chasers off guard. All those other chasers that got close to it earlier on, they all got in a lot of trouble. I ripped myself away for a moment, and I looked at the overall storm, and I was like, hey guys, uh, l- look over there, does that look like, is that the tornado? Does that look like the tornado to you? Because that looks like a tornado to me. And there's a reason that this is the largest tornado on record. Um, so right about that point was when the tornado expanded in size, it, it doubled in size, and it increased its forward motion, uh, I think, to something like 50 or 60 miles per hour, almost instantaneously. Her and her team were directly in the tornado's path. We moved quickly. We hauled east. And sure enough, that actually was the tornado. 15 minutes after first touching down, the tornado, still moving east, passes over a major highway, Route 81. At that exact time, chasing legend Tim Samaras passes 81 driving parallel and just north of the storm. The tornado was now speeding straight towards Oklahoma City, a city with a metro area of close to a million and a half people. Instead of taking shelter, though, some residents got in their car and headed south trying to beat the storm. This turned out to be a terrible, terrible idea. talking with Jim Gardner, Scott is Jim, go ahead. Well, Gary, right now we're passing over I-35. We're just uh, southwest of the storm, uh, south of downtown Oklahoma City. Heading south, the highway is a standstill of glowing headlights. uh, There's I-35, Gary. That is a parking lot. If this thing passes over I-35, 
it's just going to be disastrous again. Uh, These people would, need to get Jim, off the Just before El Reno died out and almost barreled through a traffic jam, the tornado hooked even harder left, just west of the city. I'm honestly looking back at it. It's I'm, there are some people that should be thanking the Lord Jesus <laughs> that they're not dead, because there's a lot of people that got in some serious trouble. The El Reno tornado was on the ground for 45 minutes, traveling over 16 miles. Brick homes were decimated. Steel barns evaporated into thin air. And considering this was the largest tornado ever on record, there were fewer casualties than might have been expected. But while some in Oklahoma were counting their blessings, the chasing community was mourning. Well, we have some breaking news to share with you here at the Weather Channel. We can now report that three of the nine people who died in Friday's tornadoes in El Reno, Oklahoma, were storm chasers. Really As the storm hooked left, it avoided that crowded freeway. But 55-year-old Tim Samaras, his son Paul, and their chase partner and meteorologist Carl Young were right in its path. An amateur chaser also died along with 18 others. While chasers have been in fatal car accidents in the past, this was the first time any chaser had died at the hands of a storm. Well, weather is a very tight community. And joining me right now is severe weather expert, Dr. Greg Forbes, who knew Tim in particular very well. And uh, Dr. Forbes, I know it's supposed to be tough to talk about today, but Tim was the cream of the crop when it came to researchers. Yeah, I'm terribly saddened. I'm, my condolences to his family. I knew Tim very well. And he was a pioneer in terms of taking scientific measurements. Now, you know, I think people forget that the nature of that type of research, that mode of research, it requires that you have an aggressive chasing style. It requires you to lower the bar for safety in the name of science. When you were in a room with Tim Samaras, he made you feel like the most important person in the room. No question about it. And, and no matter who you were, I mean, I'm just some ninth grade little hillbilly with an attitude half the time. And when I went to my first storm chaser convention, I was shunned by a lot of these guys. And Tim treated me just as an equal. We compared pros. We talked. I mean, he's 90% of the reason why I started doing what I do. We saw that storm. We ran from that storm, you know, and it makes you question for a moment. Why are we out there? What are we doing? Are, what are the motivators here? We know that when you're chasing storms, eliminating risk is impossible. And it's just a matter of time before something terrible either happens to you or someone you know. Randy, who has seen friends shot, stabbed, overdosed, says it's what he's seen chasing that haunts him. I still find myself, I'll, I'll turn into a ball of shit and cry for two or three hours. Just out of the blue over a victim I saw seven years ago. Other chasers told me about seeing therapists or being prescribed antidepressants. I was told how hard they crash after chasing season, how they negotiate the lifestyle with their families if they don't end in divorce. When I would talk with chasers, 30-minute interviews regularly turned into hour, two-hour-long talks, sometimes much longer than that. My only takeaway here was that there was a lot of processing still happening. I started to wonder, are chasers victims here? Trapped by an economic setup that'll never pay them enough for the costs incurred? They are benefiting financially from you going out into a storm and getting that kind of footage. Is there any responsibility to take care of the people that they ask to do those things? I can only speak for me personally, and for me, there's really not, because the attitude I take towards it, I would be out there doing this whether I made money off of it or not. And this is what every chaser told me. I would be out here doing this regardless. 
I wanted to know then what's really driving them. I reached out to someone who knows the community intimately. My name is Jason Persoff, and um, I'm known colloquially in the community as uh, the storm doctor. Persoff's a physician at the University of Colorado. He's also been storm chasing for 25 years. He provides a free counseling service for chasers in distress. There's actually a very strong correlation between chasers and addiction. What Persoff sees as the getting down to it real talk motivation for some chasers, it's not money, science, or even public service. It's a feedback loop of addictive behavior. I think a lot of chasers rely a lot on the feedback from not only the community, but the public in in a general sense about their value as a chaser is tied to the quality or the intensity of the footage that they get. And this feedback loop plays right to a chaser's ego. Persoff says some people have even had to bow out completely from chasing because of the damage it's done to their self-esteem. For others, it can push them to take bigger and bigger risks. My name's Kelly Williamson. Come on, get it up there. Randy Arnold and I track storms for the Weather Channel. People described Kelly Williamson to me as a thrill seeker. He was a farmer who also raced cars. When he came to storm chasing later in life, he blew the doors off the community with his early videos, even parlaying it into his own show on the Weather Channel in 2016. Storm Wranglers, this Sunday at 9 on the Weather Channel. He was a great person, had a great personality. I, I, I treasured his friendship, but he was a very stubborn individual. He thought he knew everything. Randy Hicks became a sort of mentor for Williamson. They even started chasing together. The last time they chased, they got into it. They were of two different minds of where exactly to chase and ended up missing a tornado. Randy took the quiet ride home to confront Williamson on his aggressive style. I told him, I said, look, dude, you know, you're, this is crazy. You're going to kill somebody. You're going to kill yourself. What good is all this? What's it worth? I said, you know, you've got this live stream going all the time. What's the weather channel going to think if you come around the corner and there's some Amish boy out here playing a basketball and you hit him at 80 miles an hour? Kelly Williamson live stream all of his chases. Kelly, you're on the weather channel with your stream. His last ever stream happened at 3.30 p.m. on March 28, 2017. Somebody with a stream just to the north, Brett Henderson. The crash happened near Spur, Texas, about 70 miles east of Lubbock. Weather Channel contractors Kelly Williamson and Randall Yarnell reportedly ran a stop sign in their SUV before crashing into a Jeep driven by another storm chaser, Corbin Lee Jager, on Tuesday afternoon. Williamson was ejected from the vehicle. Both he and Yarnell died in the crash. So did the 25-year-old chaser they crashed into, Corbin Lee Yeager. A lot of people delude themselves into thinking that they're providing a vital public service being a chaser. And in fact, actually, we're, we are as a group a hazard. The chasers I talked to were dedicated to the science of the storms. I heard it over and over again about why they chase and why it's worth the cost. I wrote to the National Weather Service in Oklahoma asking about it. They wrote back and told me that chasers can be useful during severe weather, but overall, they're not helpful. Um, the reason we do this is for one reason and really one reason only. We really like seeing severe weather. But it's not just chasers that love storms and severe weather. It's most of us, myself included. 
and major networks know it too. Check out some of the Weather Channel's original programming. Why planes crash, so you think you'd survive. And Weather Gone Viral, first-hand accounts of surviving treacherous conditions. This is just a sampling. The truth is, we tune into the spectacle of other people's tragedies with some mix of horror and excitement. People even pay thousands of dollars to go on storm-chasing tours, heading out with an experienced chaser to check storms out up close. The storm doctor says if the community doesn't start getting more self-critical and open to change, we can expect to see more Kelly Williamsons out there. Many of us in the chasing community have been amazed that so few chasers have been killed. And more to the point, that chasers haven't killed more people. And um, do, you think you this know, is, do you think that's something yeah. that's bound to change? We're way overdue. So Kelly Williamson's death with his partner and taking the innocent life of Corbin, that's shot across the bow. We're going to see more chaser death. And as an audience, we have some role here too. But regardless of how many people keep tuning into live streams or YouTube, the extreme weather will keep coming. I think we're going to have an explosive, maybe even a record amount of tornadoes this year. All you can hope is that the people that are rushing into the eye of a storm can see what they're doing. But we're going to do some great things this year. This is going to be our year. This may be my last year, but it's going to be a great year. And if God's willing, hopefully I'll get at least into three of those and be able to put my probe out. If I can do two or three of them, I'd be a happy man. Outside In was produced this week by Jimmy Gutierrez, me, Sam Evans-Brown, and Taylor Quimby, with help from Hannah McCarthy and Justine Paradise. Erica Janik is our executive producer. Maureen McMurray is our director of directing. Special thanks to Tony Laubach, Lanny Dean, and the National Weather Service out of Norman, Oklahoma. Additional footage courtesy of KWTV, The Weather Channel, MSNBC, and True TV. Chaser footage provided by Corey Hartman, Justin Drake, Randy Dean, and Kelly Williamson. If you want to see some of Jennifer's incredible storm photography, which you absolutely do, go to outsideinradio.org. Music in this episode from Blue Dot Sessions and Vortex. Our theme music is provided by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. Cool, that was good.